This Prop Talk recording is a news and opinion product that is the property of Original Prop Blog LLC, all rights reserved. Original Prop Blog LLC is not responsible for any statements or opinions expressed by the guests of this program. Live on tape from the OPB studios in Northern California, it's Prop Talk. Brought to you by the Original Prop Blog, we're making analog connections across the world. Each podcast features one-on-one chats with special guests to discuss the hobby of collecting original movie props and costumes. The Original Prop Blog is the original source of news, information, and opinion about authentic popular culture artifacts and memorabilia from film and television. Now, let's join our host, Jason DeBorg. And then people always tell me, Jason, you're just too mellow. I'm like, well, I'm not. No, like... I like that part of it, though. It's very laid back. <laughs> it's a little bit more um, NPR. I guess you don't have that out there, but the, the people who sound really boring on the radio talking about yeah. news. Radio 2. We call it Radio <laughs> 2 here, which is the BBC Radio 2. Yeah. All right. So, uh, welcome to Prop Talk. And today my guest is Jez Hill from StarWarsHelmets.com. And uh, I'm really interested to talk to him because I'm a big fan of his site and uh, his real dedication to just finding out all kinds of details about Star Wars helmets and masks that were used in the film. So welcome, Jez. Thanks, thanks, Jason. And I think I think you mean the anality of Star Wars helmets because really that's what the site has. It just has every stupid, ir- irrelevant piece of information on, on 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 little pieces of plastic that we used in movies. Well, I was trying to make it sound uh, <laughs> less geeky, but yeah, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> what typical self-deprecating English, you know? You know what we like. Yeah, so I've seen your site really evolve um, over the years, and the most recent thing you've been doing is you've been doing these sort of video reviews of original helmets used in Star Wars, which are really cool. So I I want to talk to you first about those a little bit, and uh, maybe you can give people some information on how to view those online. Cool. Yeah, will do. Um I started the, the site back in, uh, I think, about 2001, 2002, and, and it really did start off as um, these are the Star Wars helmets that I had. And at that time, I think they pretty much were all Dom Post, you know, the cheap $50 sort of replicas that you could buy from from um, any Halloween store. Um, right. And it sort of grew from that, um, and it got to the point where we sort of decided to, I say we, the royal we, um, uh, just decided to, to move it onto its own proper site as opposed to, you know, like one of these sites that you sort of build yourself, um, you know, on online. So we moved it to its own um, its own space. I bought the domain Star Wars Helmets because I thought it was relevant to what it was, you know. So right. It shows Star Wars Helmets, so let's call it that. Um, and it's grown over the years. We've got, I don't know, thousands of photographs on it and... Um, 
hundreds of pages on just about every helmet. We cover the originals, uh, the ones that are used in the movies. We also look at replicas. And on the replicas, there's two distinct sides, the licensed side, which are the ones that you can sort of legitimately go out and buy, and there's the unlicensed side, which is usually the ones that are, are the more accurate helmets that are made typically by, by people in their own uh, garages. Mm-hmm. So that's what it covers. Um, over the years, we've tried to introduce new things. I remember um, just thinking of, of, of the size of the photographs. When it first started, the photographs were quite small because people were probably on dial-up at those times. Then we moved to bigger photographs. Then I looked at doing some 360-degree sort of rotational shots of helmets. So when we got hold of a couple of the original helmets, like uh, the Stormtrooper helmets, um, we actually managed to, to photograph them from every angle. So you could sort of re- rotate them. And I suppose given bandwidth issues, et cetera, that was, that was a good way to show the helmets from as many angles as, as we could. Um, then, as you said about the videos, um, a couple of years back, um, I started to look at, at doing video editing on these, uh, on these helmets. So we just pulled together, really, some, some videos to try and show off a helmet and make them look, you know, pretty and, uh, and, and, and attractive to, to perhaps people who weren't quite so into the, the detail that, that some of us are. Um, but also uh, provide that you know the the, the sort of anally retented funds um, <laughs> that the the kind of detail that that they want to see as as well. So it was all sort of packaged in something that that was almost something you would perhaps see on a on a cable um, network. Right. Yeah. And you know it's funny because the first time I saw one of your videos, my thought was, um, why isn't this guy doing like nature? Uh, TV show narration or something because <laughs> you know you've got the yeah. cool British accent you've got kind of a nice tone to your voice and uh, I, I just thought it you know it came across really professional I was really impressed and you had the you know the Star Wars I, music I in the I background wouldn't, I wouldn't rule anything out <laughs> <laughs> in fact um, a friend of mine who does work in TV production they do a, a show about the weird hotels around the world and because he knows i'm a star wars fan he said you know how would i be up for presenting one on the um the hotel in uh, tunisia where they um obviously filmed some of the uh the scenes at luke's homestead i said yeah you know whatever he said well will you dress up as a stormtrooper <laughs> uh, yeah no problem at all whatever so yeah happy to do that and and you know thanks for that i mean it, it they take a lot of time to do you know obviously they to, to video them only takes half an hour, an hour at most. The time is in the editing and the cutting and the background information because what we do try and do is is get all the background information, as many photographs that we can use and that we're allowed to use because, again, sometimes there'll be photographs of, of some behind-the-scenes um, uh, uh, shots of, of the manufacture of a helmet that we'd love to use, but you know, they've been provided to us on the assurance that we won't. So right. it is a shame. It obviously helps with the research, but, but a shame when we can't actually use them. Yeah, and uh, I think my favorite one was the um, AT-AT driver one. I thought that one was, was really cool, just the background information and... Um, you know, it, it was it was just really interesting and and kind of the, how you determine you know how many there were, what was used where, and you know by how they're marked yeah. and everything. Yeah, and, and that that was good because it was one that was quite a unique helmet. It was one that we knew very little about before that one was right. um, uh, that that one emerged. Uh, I mean, we you know 
during uh, the research, and I went to see John Marlowe to talk to him about it, etc. You know, we, we, we found out that there were only two made for the films. We know that one was stolen, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago. So this was the sort of the last remaining one out there. Um, and also, uh, because there were only two, and they'd only been photographed even in the film once uh, for, for publicity, we'd always assume that these were white helmets like stormtroopers. So actually getting your hands on one and seeing that it was grey to us was, you know, quite a big thing because, right. you know, all over the years we've seen these characters as white, even the toys, when the toys had come out they'd been white and the, in the video games they'd been white. But in actual fact, you could quite clearly see that they were, a, you know, a, a, a grey colour, um, understandably grey because they were, you know, effectively, I suppose, tank pilots. Mm -hmm. um, so they were pretty much the same colour as, as the, the attacks they were, they were driving. Um, but it was, you know, it was interesting to see something that, that really we weren't expecting. Um, and again, when we went back to the original photographs, the one set of photographs that were taken of this particular character, you could see quite clearly they were massively overexposed. So, you know, they actually could have been light blue, but they were so overexposed that they came across as white. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hence the color shift. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, I, uh, I just did a podcast earlier today, actually, with Leonard from Real Clothes. And one of the things we we're talking about is how it's really interesting that things are still being found. Because you'd think with television and the Internet and these big high profile auctions with, you know, media talking about how much money things sold for that all this older stuff that's out there, you know, there wouldn't be anything left to be found. But there's still cool stuff yeah. being found all the time. And it's really you know, quite remarkable. I hope Len is right about that because one <laughs> of the things that I find a bit scary is on the Star Wars side, I really see it drying up. That if yeah. I go back five years ago, I was finding out about things probably once or twice a year. Uh, you know, new stuff that we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. and, and I'd say in the last, I'm struggling to think of anything in the last two years that's genuinely come out as as wow, you know, we didn't know that that existed. So I know that in the certainly in the southeast of England, um, around Elstree and and Borehamwood and places like that where they film the movies, there will be people in their attics and garages who have, I'm sure, original prop parts and, and costumes and helmets, etc., from the Star Wars movies. I'm sure that that's the case. At least I, I hope it is. And I, eventually those will come out. But it is it is a little bit worrying. Um, uh, I remember somebody saying to me not long ago, the fear was that we'd found everything we were going to find. I, I hope that's not the case. Yeah, I don't know. I still hear about things, but I just think people are, um, maybe they're more quiet about it. I don't know. But I <laughs> maybe, still, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's still stuff that's that's being discovered out there. So, yeah. But Star Wars is about as high profile as you can get. So if something's going to dry up first. It might be Star Wars, especially considering, yeah, you know, right. Lucasfilm well, has made such an effort to keep everything. Certainly when the auction houses announce their, their annual or biannual um, auctions, it's, you know, it's always something I, I keep my eye on just to, to see if there's something new, new coming out. And, and in the past, uh, a couple of them like Christie's have, have asked me to, you know, help them authenticate helmets. And I remember um, a few years ago when they had two, um, well, what they thought were uh, stormtrooper helmets. In actual fact, they turned out to be the two sand trooper helmets right. um, from A New Hope. Um, one was the stop that ship, and the other one was the, the move along helmet, which were, uh, you know, almost 
effectively, I suppose, iconic helmets. It had mm-hmm. those two and two um, X-wing pilot helmets, and that was a that was a fantastic find. And again, that was somebody who had them in the back of a, a, a lockup. They'd been there for years. Uh, when he bought the factory unit near L Street, they'd come with it. Um, and in the end, um, you know, those helmets were were sold for. Well, I think they sold at the time for something like hundred hundred twenty thousand dollars. I think now you'd probably be expecting at least double that for those because you know they were they were great helmets. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, well, it's funny just thinking about just looking at stormtrooper helmets. How much prices have gone up in not very much time? Like the one with the patch on the back. I remember yeah. Christie's sold that for what, like twenty something 20. thousand U.S. Yeah, I know, crazy. And, and then. I mean, it was sold in profiles of their next auction for just marginally more. And, uh, yeah, but it could have been a case where everyone thought everyone else was going to bid on it. And well, I just, no I just think that five, five years ago, you could have easily picked up uh, a nice return of the Jedi stormtrooper helmet for something like 20,000 us. Right. Um, and then now seem to be going for, 60, 70. Did one recently go for 80? Yeah, I th- was that late last year, I think. Yeah. There's there one in profiles. Yeah. So probably a three, at least a threefold increase um, in five years, which is, which is really a huge amount. I mean, I don't, I don't think it will continue like that. But, but what it's interesting now, we seem to be seeing the same helmets going round and round um, uh, as... You know, there's no nothing new sort of entering the market. So right. unless, unless Lucasfilm suddenly decides to do a sale <laughs> of all its old props, then um, I, you know I think you're going to see a lot more of the helmets we've seen many times before. Um, you know, uh, go around again. Yeah. So let's go way back. When when did you? Because you're how old are you? I'm mid forties. So when okay. Star Wars came out, I was. Um, I was a young lad, and of course it hit me at exactly that time in your life when you want a film like that to hit you. Right. And, it, it, you know, and I think, as a lot of people, it had quite a, a profound effect. I mean, certainly, you know, the obvious things, like I think I went to see it at the, the movie theaters about 13 or 14 times. <laughs> because in those days, it's going back quite a long time, in those days there, there wasn't, uh, you couldn't get anything on video. And I don't even think video cap was out, uh, video VHS was out in right. 77, 78. Um, so I went to it lots of times. Um, I remember, I, I remember joining. What was it? What was the Star Wars fan club called? I remember the the thing was called Banter Tracks. You'd oh get yeah, Banter Tracks every quarter. And if you think at that time, you just the sort of the access to information that we've got now, you just didn't have in those days. Right. So um, it, you had to rely on Banter Tracks to know anything that was happening for the production of the new movie and everything else. So massively into Star Wars. I remember bugging. 2020 Fox um, on Wardour Street in London over and over again about the new movie. And in, in, those, in those days, I don't think they were used to that kind of fan interest. And um, in the end, they sort of gave in and, and sent me an application form so I could go to the premiere of The Empire Strikes Back. So I would have been about, I don't know, 15, I think, when that came out. So uh-huh. I went to down to London to see the premiere of The Empire Strikes Back, which is the royal premiere because Princess Margaret was there and all the wow. stars were there. So... I got to see Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher, and 
uh, Alec Guinness. Wow. And that was a, you know, just a fantastic thing to do. Yeah. Uh, it really, it, it really was. And um, uh, a great evening. It was a black tie event. So everybody had to go all dressed up and everything. So that came out. And then the third movie came out. So now I'm sort of in my... Um, my mid sort of to late teens when 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 Jedi's out and I think as with a lot of people that was the last of the trilogy uh, the last movie that we're going to go for some time so I think I drifted away uh, away from it and it wasn't really until I had kids myself and the uh, the new trilogy came out that I started to get interested again mm-hmm. and I sort of you know went up to my attic and got all my old figures out for my son <laughs> and and, um, and and sort of brainwashed him into into enjoying star wars as much as as, as much as i did so um it didn't really work but um, i got to, i certainly got a lot of enjoyment out of it and yeah. then from that it, you know started looking at helmets and and um thought i'd put a site together just showing off the the just the dom post ones that i had and and you know opened up pandora's box <laughs> so was your first um, entry into the prop world on the RPF then, like what looking, you know, yeah. collecting replicas? I'd, I'd say it was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, it, um, I at that stage I would have had. Um, I think I'd bought uh, apart from the Don Post. I'd I'd been in touch with a couple of people and been told about uh, a chap uh, in England who was making an excellent Darth Vader helmet, and it was actually the twentieth century Darth Vader helmet, which is just superb one so i managed to snag one of those and paid you know at that time what i thought was a, a huge amount of money for something um so it must have been uh, like a thousand dollars yeah that's right it was that that kind of money and i thought how yeah. on earth could you spend a thousand dollars on a helmet because <laughs> it was a Darth Vader helmet it was a fantastic one actually it's one i've still got to this day um uh, and i bought an fx um stormtrooper you know uh the complete armor so i had that on a mannequin and then I, uh, I joined the RPF. And I think at the, the time, there's the RPF and the RPB. The RPB was the UK equivalent, and the RPF was the US one. But, but um, uh, I suppose at the time, and, and obviously since then, the RPF has been the, um, the one where most information has been discussed and debated ad nauseum, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> there's but debates it's been very valuable there, because... <laughs> there's debates on the RPF? I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, it's almost like anybody mentions certain people or certain characters, and it just goes off on one. And unfortunately, it does seem that battle lines are drawn, and you're either on one side or the <laughs> other. And it's, it's almost, it becomes almost like a political debate, and you, yeah. you're never going to convince the other side. So right. that's probably best to withdraw. <laughs> so is this like at the same time... Um uh, Phantom Menace came out that you sort of yeah. got into the the replica hobby. That's right, yes. And and I dug out my old um, at the time. I think the the first helmet I bought was a Don Post Darth Vader, which I bought from Disneyland. I, I managed to go to Disneyland. Of course, that kind of stuff you just couldn't buy in the UK. So I bought this Don Post, you know, fifty sixty dollar Darth Vader helmet, and I was absolutely convinced this was a screen accurate prop. You know, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. And if you've seen one of those helmets, you'll know it's probably half the size of an original. Yeah. And I remember um, sticking Empire Strikes Back on on video, um, and and trying to work out why my helmet didn't look quite the same as the one that Dave Prowse was wearing. <laughs> um, 
and then it wasn't really until I got a, a screen accurate one that you, you you know you see you know the massive difference in size and and detail and everything else that exists between the that you know the, the cheaper sort of license props and the, and the full size props and their you know and the replicas of them. Yeah. So when you started um, StarWarsHelmets.com, what were some of the first um, things you were putting up there? Because actually, I looked. A little bit earlier today, I went on archive.org just to see what the oldest snapshot of your site was. And I think it was like 2003. And it actually, mm-hmm. even then, there's just a ton of information. So Yeah, there was. I, I, I mean, I think what we did first of all is um, I went to one of those um, almost like a MySpace kind of place and stuck it up on there. And it, was, it wasn't called Star Wars Helmets at the time. It was called something else. And, and that sort of grew and grew and grew to a point when probably 2002, late 2002, um, I decided to actually build a proper site for it. <clears throat> so did that on, I think it was Microsoft front page. And, um, and, and just took all the information we had before and then tried to add more and more and more. And it did concentrate really on, on Stormtroopers and probably Darth Vader because they... You know, even now are probably what ninety percent of the people want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so stormtroopers dealt with what was available at that time, and at that time it was pretty much the FX um, stormtrooper armor. Um, and as you should probably remember that, even going back to two thousand and two, two thousand three, ninety nine point nine percent of the uh, fighting five oh first, the people that that, that 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 wear the armor had that same inaccurate. Um, armor right. and you know you could almost forgive the armor itself but the helmet always looked so almost looked like a bobblehead to me <laughs> and I remember one of the things I wanted to try and do was to, to say to that population both in the UK and the US look you know there are alternatives keep your armor but buy a more screen accurate helmet and at that time um, GF Alano was producing a really quite superb helmet which um, you know, I'm sure people now would look back and say, well, you know, it's not, not completely accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a thousand times more accurate than the FX. So one of the things that was nice was we did, we did get quite a lot of people to, to sort of switch from the old FX bobblehead into <laughs> something a little bit more accurate. Or at least, you know, we contributed towards that. Right. So what kinds of things do you have in your own collection? Do you have, like, because I know you've covered so many different um, versions of like the stormtrooper helmets and things like that. Do you do you still have all that, or do you kind of purge yeah, every once I, in a while? Or? No, I should purge. And in <laughs> fact, I, I thought of purging recently, um, but actually, the, I noticed that the the, the price of, of of Star Wars props at the moment replicas is pretty low compared to it was. What we really need is George Lucas to come out with another movie. Although hopefully better than the last three. Um, I know they've talked about this TV show, but I don't know whether that's happening. But that would be good because at the moment, I mean, it's a great time to buy. If somebody wanted to to buy a replica Stormtrooper helmets or Darth Vader helmets, they'd be buying it at a, a you know a half or in some cases a quarter of the price you know they would have expected to pay sort of three or four years ago when um, you know just after Revenge of the Sith came out and it was at, really at a height. But um, I ought to purge because I've got. Just about every helmet out there, every star, uh, every stormtrooper, and several Darth Vaders, and I've just got way too many to ever put on display. So uh, they just end up being put in the loft. Yeah. So I know we've exchanged some um, 
emails that we kind of laugh about where it seems like there was this real steady trend of people who would email me um, photos of one of the Dawn Post Stormtrooper helmets, the one with the little copyright symbol yeah. on it saying yeah. this is a real helmet. But that seems to have yeah. slowed down recently for some oh, reason. Oh, no. And I love those emails as well because <laughs> They always come from somebody whose auntie worked. Um, oh, there's always a great Her story. Again, <laughs> there's always a great story to go along with it. So, oh, there's always there's always <laughs> a story where it's the auntie who worked at Elstree who knew George Lucas very well, and this was given to her as a gift. Yeah. And you know, it's a fifty dollar Darth Vader helmet, which is so you know, and 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 you go back and you just and and sometimes I just say to them, look, I'm sorry, but you know i hate to sort of burst your bubble but it isn't it's this and it's probably worth you know it's probably not worth thirty five thousand dollars more thirty five dollars um and um and they don't believe you so i then have to send a photograph with an original side by side (laughs) and saying this is what you have this is what this is what the you know it needs to look like so yeah i mean i can only presume you know that, that these people are chances or or you know unfortunately perhaps a little bit delusional yeah. but i'd love them every time you get them you do hope maybe this is going to be you know a good one but um unfortunately um, nine, 99 times out of 100 they're um they're just the copies maybe you'd make a good coffee table book <laughs> you know yeah. you could have the picture <laughs> With the little yeah. kind of hand scrawled copyright symbol, which I still don't yeah. understand how that actually happened, and uh, then the story beside it. Yeah, you'd buy it. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, and and the other one as well is that there was um, a promotional helmet made in I think the seventies. It wasn't the Don Post, but it looked very similar to it. But it was made of fiberglass. So, of course, because it's made of fiberglass, it sort of convinces people that it might be original. But again, it's just, it, it looks a million miles away. You know, almost like a car analogy would be that, you know, the original is the Rolls Royce and this thing looks like a, um, a clapped out old Corvette. And these people <laughs> still think it's the same, same thing. And it clearly isn't. Yeah. But uh, I'd love to write a book. That would be something I would love to do. But again, the problem you've got is, I don't know how many people would actually buy it. I mean, the wonderful thing about the internet is that you've got, I don't know how many real hardcore Star Wars prop people are around the world. Would there be a thousand, you know, 500? Certainly not a huge amount when you think about it. Um, it, It's relatively speaking a small amount. Now, the internet's brilliant because it allows everybody to sort of communicate and those people to get in touch with each other and share ideas and theories and photographs and information and everything else um but but uh as from a mass market perspective it it makes it very very difficult to sort of produce a product to suit those people in fact if you look at the licensed prop market and how that's changed over the the recent uh years if you go back to how don post produced stuff way back in the 70s and 80s their idea of a replica helmet was you know you charge 50 dollars because the market you know just doesn't sustain something more more expensive than that mm-hmm. now you've got you know companies like you know master replicas and museum replicas and and now uh, efx producing uh, helmets that cost 500 dollars. now you know in the 70s and 80s that model just wouldn't have existed um 
because you just didn't have, you couldn't get to that pop, that small population of people that would want to spend $500 for a replica helmet. Now you can, and they sell out, and it's a very, very good market. Mm-hmm. Although I would say it's a, it's a dual-edged sword, because um, the problem you've got now is that if you're selling to 500 people or 1,000 people around the world, a, a real niche market and a real niche product, one of the things you need to bear in mind is that those people are probably talking to each other. So right. you need to be extremely sure, uh, uh, transparent, and clear in the things you say about that. Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, producers in the past, companies like Rubies and, and to some extent, Master Replicas, they, um, and certainly Shepherd and Design Studios, although obviously they weren't licensed, but still sort of fall into that same group, they you have to be very, very uh, clear and open and and, and honest, if you like, about exactly what you're producing. Because if you're not, fans are clever enough to notice the difference and they all communicate. Mm -hmm. And and respect to companies like EFX, who who are very, very clear and open in the way that they communicate with, you know, with, with um, with the people who buy their products. Now, are they the ones that sort of took over the Star Wars license after Master Replicas. Yes, correct. Okay. It was pretty much the same guys. The Master Replicas did a great job with the Star Wars helmets because they produced some excellent products. I think the problem was uh, they were part of a big organization and financially it was probably difficult to produce a whole range of helmets for, you know, I think at the time they were about three fifty, four hundred dollars $400 a time. Um, so what they what they tended to do was produce derivatives of the same helmets, and I don't know whether you remember, but they produced a, a clone helmet from episode three, Revenge of the Sith, and they must have done, I don't know, eight, nine different versions of it, different color schemes. Hmm. And and after a while, the fans, you know, start to get very tired of that. They want to see something new, although obviously something new has to sell well in order to, um, you know, in order to, 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 to generate the revenue for the company. But... Um, yeah, I think I think the other thing about it as well with Master Replicas was that they did a couple of things that annoyed the fans. I remember they produced a full-size, not full-size, a miniature um, ATAT model, which mm-hmm. was a fantastic piece. It really was. Um, and they released that. And then I think just a few months later, reduced the signature version of that. And, of course, the people that bought the original would have bought the signature. So were highly um, annoyed that they almost felt that had the, 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 the rug pulled out from underneath them. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult. In the same way, I think they also produced a, um, a loot lightsaber from uh, Return of the Jedi as a limited edition piece, and then a few years later, a couple of years later, produced another limited edition version of pretty much the same lightsaber. So y- you do have to be careful. Yeah, and I guess in this day and age, everyone has a, an opinion that they can <laughs> distribute yeah. pretty easily with the internet. So. That's exactly right. But I think if you work well with the buying public, um, then uh, and uh, then I think you'll do very well out of the market. And certainly it seems to me that effects and also Sideshow do seem to do very, very well. Mm. Um, also, the, one of the companies recently out away from Star Wars, the one, this one producing the um, Aliens Pulse Rifle, I mean, that's something that people have paid for. You know, certainly I paid for a year ago, but 
but it looks like it's going to be an extremely nice piece. And they they seem to keep the fans uh, updated with what's going on with it. And I think at the end, if you deliver on your promises, then people will keep coming back as long as you're straight, you're open, and you're honest about things. Right. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about the um, Andrew Ainsworth um, his venture and then the Lucasfilm lawsuit. And did you have any thoughts on, uh, that whole thing? Do you know if it's, yeah. if, if it's still going to keep going or are the two sides? I don't know. I've, I've certainly not heard anything for a long time. Obviously I was involved with, with Angels when he first started in sort of, two, I think it was about 2004, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've done with, with other companies like Master Replicas and Efects, and you know, you just try to tell them to, to be open with people, to, to be straight about uh, what you're doing. Um, and I think that the, the, the sorry thing about the, the Lucasfilm Angel situation is that as far as I gather it, I gather from it, neither, they never actually, both, both sides never got together to actually talk about the situation. Mm-hmm. Because here we had somebody who worked on the production that genuinely felt he had a right to produce these helmets. We know whether it was right or not, he felt that he had a right to do it. Mm-hmm. And there was also clearly um, a gray area over the production and who had copyright. And we know there's a gray area because it's gone to two court cases and the courts can't decide who has rights ultimately. So I think that the, the one situation that seems to have failed in this instance is that from what I can see from the outside, at no stage did both sides try and sit around the table and work it out. And I think that's, that, that's a shame because I think in reality, both sides have lost on this. I think Lucasfilm have obviously spent a lot of time, effort, and money on on uh, on the legal costs of mounting a I don't know a three, four, five year uh, case. And I'm sure Ainsworth himself has lost. He certainly lost the time uh, in defending himself um, for exactly the same thing. So it's like anything. I think talk first, exhaust all options for dialogue and only then take the legal route. And I think it's a shame in this instance that, that between the, the two sides, they never managed to do that. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because from a legal perspective, you know, kind of big picture, Lucasfilm won in the United States, more or less, and then Ainsworth kind of won in the UK. But the reading mm. reading the case in England, because for me being American, being more familiar, obviously, with American, you know, views on copyright and things like that, it, it seemed to me like Ainsworth didn't really have a defense. But then reading the law in the UK, it's like, well, I can kind of, I don't really agree with the argument, but I can understand it. It's not just, yeah. you know, some yeah. subjective uh, thing. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I think I think the, the the first case was over in the in state in the states in California, right? And I I don't think Ainsworth defended himself, so it was basically uh, an action from Lucasfilm detailing everything that they felt he hadn't done, mm-hmm. and I don't I, I don't think he actually responded um, 
certainly didn't respond in in, in person. Right. Um, and well, for uh, you know, for, for I'm sure the right reason, and that that then uh, was it a win for Lucasfilm or was it a? It's he, almost like the other guy didn't show up, so therefore it's a slam dunk. I'm not I'm not sure what it was, but the problem was, of course, that that might have been uh, provided them with, with the success in the United States, but it, it obviously didn't help them in the, the UK since he was completely operating out of the UK. Right. Yes, in fact, thinking back, wasn't his, his only defense, I think, at that stage was this case should be heard in the UK, not the US, because, because you know, as a, the film was made in the UK, uh, he was a, a UK in, uh, individual and his company was completely and utterly based in the UK. So... I don't actually think the U.S. case ever really covered the important issues. It was more a jurisdictional right. um, issue. Hope yeah. I'm right on that anyway. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, they, they were awarded a judgment, but it couldn't really be enforced, which is why they then went to the U.K., and then basically they didn't uphold the judgment. So That's right, yeah. So then, And then the first one was a bit of a, a sort of a fudged gray area, um, in the UK, and then and then it didn't go to a, uh, an appeal, which I think I think they lost the appeal, or certainly three of the four. But mm-hmm. um, so everyone's left in this limbo land. Um, so I presume Ainsworth continues to produce, but can't export to the US, which right. I would have thought would be its biggest market. Uh, I think occasionally you see these things on eBay, but. But uh, it's not a satisfactory conclusion. And, and ultimately, I think all you can say in, in these circumstances is have a dialogue, you know, talk with people first before you go, you go down that route. Yeah. Well, just... I mean, maybe there was a solution whereby Lucasfilm could have granted him a license and they would have received a cut of the revenue, and that would have made right. everyone's life easier, I'd have thought. Yeah. I... Now, my understanding was that was never even discussed. Yeah, which is really odd because, like you said, that would make sense <laughs> you know because yeah. well he... especially when um the case over the amount of years it's lasted it must have cost both sides between them 10 million dollars yeah and the only people who have benefited from that are lawyers right and no disrespect to lawyers but there are better things to do with 10 million pounds <laughs> than give them to lawyers yeah especially these days yeah so one other thing i want to ask you about um i know through the hobby, both the original hobby and the replica hobby, there's always talk about like touring suits, touring blasters. What's the background on what kinds of pieces were made for, you know, promotion and that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, they, they vary, but I mean, we've come across some really fantastic, what we'd call touring pieces. I mean, there was something we did a, uh, a big tutorial on, um, about a year or so ago, and that was a Darth Vader helmet that was what we would call a tour, and it has you know, some provenance because it was made uh, by the people often that made it for the made them for the movies. So, uh, or at least we know came directly from the molds or a, or a first generation casting. So, so therefore, it sort of has that added value. In the case of the Darth Vader. Um, helmet, it was one that we are pretty sure was the one seen in the, the teaser promotion uh, poster for The Empire Strikes Back, you know, the one that says, come to your galaxy this summer. Oh, yeah. um, and Darth Vader said, so, I mean, that's fantastic, really. And so that 
that has uh, tremendous value, um, you know, because it, we can actually, it has that sort of inbuilt provenance. Um, there's a number of, number of Stormtrooper um, costumes out there that are also promotional pieces, and they do vary in quality. Um, there are a number made by, um, by Lucasfilm after Return of the Jedi, and you can actually tell those because in the, um, the, uh, the trapezoid under the, um, the gray trapezoid under the, the cheeks near the eyes um, mm. of, of the helmet face, there are four vent holes drilled in that you can uh, are a real giveaway and presumably that's to help the airflow although i can't imagine how four drill holes would make a huge amount of difference but that is a bit of a giveaway but again those are great because again they have some provenance they they wouldn't be worth anywhere near the amount that an original would be worth but they'd still be worth far in excess that you'd expect from a replica Mm -hmm. but uh, we are starting to see some of those uh come around but often, of course, certainly for the original film, for New Hope, and uh, also for Empire Strikes Back, when they were doing tours, they used original original costumes. So, you know, we know for a fact that they used original Stormtroopers, Darth Vader, etc., for, um, for, for, for tours of things like Toys R Us in the States. Right. So, you know, um, these were things that at the time didn't have a great value. And, you know, if you could go back in time and, you, you know, the guy wearing those um, <laughs> for, uh, um, uh, you know, for, for the tours around Toys R, Toys R Us, if he'd have known he was wearing something that now would be worth, well, certainly a complete Stormtrooper costume would be, would be worth in excess of $100,000, yeah. well in excess of that, you know, amazing when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I actually saw Darth Vader at, this store called Mervyn's when I was a little kid. I think it was, um, it must have been in between. It must have been right when Empire Strikes Back came out. I think it was 1980. Yeah. So. Yeah. Look, Who knows? Looked it convincing. Been, it could have been original. <laughs> By then, they did do a number of, they did um, farmers in uh, in the UK made a number of tour costumes. I don't know who did the hard parts, but they did all the soft parts for them. Um, and they were used all over the world. But, I remember um, when Empire Strikes Back came out over here, Boba Fett did the rounds of all the toy shots, and I'm pretty sure that was an, well, certainly a production made uh, Boba Fett, even if it wasn't original. But it was, you know, there were five or six um, uh, Boba Fetts made for the Empire Strikes Back, and obviously only only one or two used. I mean, the, the Boba fans were will, will probably shouting at the at, at the computers now and saying this because <laughs> I'm not actually sure of my, my details on that. Um, yeah, go to the dentedhelmet.com for the, for the full <laughs> rundown on that because it's not my particular area. But yeah, I'm sure that um, that it was a production made um, uh, Boba Fett that would have been, you know, just touring the, the stores of the UK and, and Europe yeah. and, and the States, of course. And then um, you have like a sister site to StarWarsHelmets.com that's about masks and helmets from other science fiction movies. Um, yeah. SciFiHelmets.com. We just recently bought the domain name for that, actually. And that was, I think, at a time when we thought that we're perhaps looking to take over the world. Um, one of the problems is, obviously, as you know, the amount of time that goes into <laughs> to doing this kind of stuff is quite exhaustive. Um, and when you, uh, you know, when you're working as well, you have to squeeze it all in. So I did 
try to do something on Doctor Who and Aliens and Terminator. So the Doctor Who side was great because um, I was contacted by the guys that did all the prosthetic work and the helmets for the TV show um, here in the UK, a chap called Neil Gordon at Millennium. Um, and he was tremendously helpful, allowed me to go around the sort of the creature workshop and see the stuff they were doing for their old series and also the new series at that time. Um, and they had a range of replicas, and they did a, a replica Cyberman helmet, which um, was absolutely brilliant. It was it was probably the most accurate replica I've I've ever um, seen. But that's because they were literally made alongside the ones that were, they were used um, in the in the TV show. And they were, they were absolutely fabulous. He stopped, he, I, I saw something recently, he said that he stopped production now of his replica line because it just isn't financially viable. So the, the effort required in producing a replica and doing all that and looking after fans and marketing it and, and handling the customer service, it just doesn't pay next to the, the work that he's mainly doing, which is the TV work, which I'm sure isn't that well paid, knowing TV... Um, work myself hmm. so what's it like to think back you know 10 years maybe a little bit more where you were just sort of learning about all this stuff and now you know in a relatively short amount of time you know you've gone and you've helped consult Christie's you've you know met all these people that have worked on the different movies and stuff is that kind of um, surprising for you looking yeah, back don't do it <laughs> tell yourself, don't do it, go away. <laughs> now, I think, I think, blokes, we all need to do something like this. Um, you know, we all collect something, and whether you whether you collected stamps or, or or whatever as a kid, or football cards or baseball cards or whatever. And and I just think it's part of that. And I've 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 actually had a great amount of fun. I've met some wonderful people, um, some you know, some genuine lifelong friends. I've met people like. Um, well, people who work with the movies, people like John Mullow, you will never meet a nicer man than John Mullow. Uh, he's somebody who obviously won an Oscar for Star Wars, for Gandhi, did the costume design as well for Empire Strikes Back, yet he's quite prepared to take my ridiculous uh, phone calls, or um, <laughs> I met up with him several times, asking him about just irrelevant details about particular helmets and work that he did way back in, I don't know, 1976. And, and absolute respect to the guy that he's prepared to, to answer the questions and provide really fantastic, meaningful insight as to why the ATAT drivers were grey <laughs> or they use a certain colour of cotton on the, on the Imperial officer's uniforms. You know, it's, it's wonderful, really. And, and the thing about John Marlowe is, is that he, he's got the Holy Grail. He kept... All his diaries, which were big sort of, oh, wow. um, yeah, huge, huge things on every project he was working on. So whether it was Star Wars, Alien, Outland, Empire Strikes Back, Barry Lyndon, all that stuff is just, it's just sequentially in these diaries. So you'll jump as he's working perhaps at one point on two projects at one time. You'll jump between two totally distinct movies, but he's got the drawings, he's got the budgets. He's got the type of materials they were using. He's got those silly bits of information that are now just absolute gold nuggets to us because they're able to say, yes, we know they did this and we know why they did that. So we can answer a lot of questions. So mm. th that's been great. And, you know, I got a Christmas card every year from Lucasfilm, which is very nice and wow. I appreciate. And, um, yeah, and, and it's, it's 
the, it's the silly things as well. The fact that you can have an email from um, a chap who says, I am the Darth Vader in Peru. And I think, <laughs> well, that's fantastic. But, and he'll send me a picture of him. And, and I think that is, you know, in, in his costume, that, that's fantastic to see that kind of thing, that it brings all people together. I've even had uh, guys in China say, could they take information from my site and use it in um, in in their in their meetings in China where they discuss Star Wars costumes. And <laughs> that is just brilliant. I say, absolutely. You want anything, you let me know. And um, I think that's fabulous. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I know we're on a uh, calling card since it's an international call. So um, is there any last little bit you want to share with me before we sign off here? Well, no, just uh, but apart from thanks to you uh, for the work that you've done with your site, original prop blog is fantastic because, again, one of the things we try to do with Star Wars Helmets is to show as much original stuff as we can. So I know how much work you put into that because I know how much work I put into mine. <laughs> so it's great when we do this and how we share information. And also the other side, you know, it's the end of the day, it is a big community. I think we all get a bit het up on silly issues at times, but yeah. the reality is that we all share a very common uh, enjoyment of something which which is, you know, at the end of the day, we like the costumes that were worn by characters in the child's movie that we all saw many years ago, and I yeah. think that's great. Yeah, I agree completely. So, uh, But I think it's all about perspective as well. Yep. Well, thanks so much, and uh, maybe next time we'll... Um, get more in-depth on some really geeky uh, yeah. <laughs> details or something. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Jason. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our program, Prop Talk. For the latest news about the world of original television and movie memorabilia, please visit us online at www.originalpropblog.com.
Um, you can't even say Moose Busters. <laughs>